Good matter. I guess uh, we should not be surprised, uh, for it involves delving into the wonders and the glories of our wonderful Creator. The God who made us good in the story of, the, of creation, uh, and, and the God who makes us righteous uh, in the story of the gospel, and the God who dwells in Christians transforming us, renewing us uh, by his divine power every day. But let's ask this morning on Trinity Sunday, can we illustrate the Trinity? Can we illustrate the Trinity? One of the most uh, common ways of thinking of the Trinity is to use an illustration. That's what you do uh, when things are difficult to understand in life. Uh, we, we do this all the time uh, when uh, they're, they're on the news uh, speaking or trying to explain on a kind of side story something about, I don't know, quantum physics or, or protons and neutrons inside cells or something like that. Uh, the, the massive things in the universe and the, and the minute things in the universe. Well, when things are, are complicated, they, they use something else that we do understand, something we can picture more easily. When I was at school, uh, they used to uh, explain a black hole out in the uh, out in the kind of out in space as a giant vacuum cleaner. Now I'm not sure that's the current position anymore, but we used to uh, in our young days uh, imagine that our home vacuum cleaner sitting on the edge of the universe, sucking things in in space, and, and we we got the idea of a black hole through that because we could understand what a vacuum cleaner was. Think about think about human biology. Uh, we're 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 a complicated piece of kit, aren't we? Uh, with plenty of intricate parts. Uh, the human heart is a very complicated organ. Uh, its, its function in the circulatory system with its in and out chambers is a complex piece of plumbing. Only very specialized doctors are allowed in there. But with one simple analogy, we can understand. The human heart is like a pump. Uh, it pumps blood around the body. Uh, and we think of water, I don't know, pumping at a flooded river or something like this, or, a, uh, or pumping something up uh, like a swimming pool in the garden or something. And we get the idea, don't we? we? We broadly get what it is just from that analogy. The heart is like a pump. Or the brain, think about the brain. It's even more complicated, isn't it? Even more specialized people get to work on the brain. Uh, how it works is beyond most of us. In fact, the brain is so clever that it's the only part of the human body that named itself. Now, you can think about that later, right? But to say that the mind is the command center of the body, well, that helps us to understand, doesn't it? Because we kind of think like, like, like NASA, uh, you know, like, a control set, like a command center at NASA where they're, they're, they've got all this stuff going on and people are com communicating with other people. Uh, and that helps us to understand what the human brain is like, a command center. And that, broadly speaking, is what it is. But when it comes to the Trinity, when it comes to our understanding of what God is like, well, some have had a go at this. Uh, some have had uh, a go at the illustration of something like, like water uh, to explain the Trinity, where, where there is liquid water and there is steam and there is ice. And they say, you see, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But sadly... This is classic human reasoning, and it's not okay when it comes to God. We are finite human beings, and God is infinite. And so when we try our best to model him on something we see in nature or the world around us, we, well, what we're doing is oversimplifying. He being, remember, the one who imagined 
quantum physics and, and molecular structures and the biology of you and I. What has happened with human reason explaining the Trinity in this way? Well, what's actually happened is a whole series of, of what we call heresies. The water analogy has resulted in what's known as modalism, where we imagine that God is one but has three modes, ice, water, and steam, all water, yes, but, but never more than one at the same time. You have to pick, in other words. Another way to think about this idea of modalism is to think about a single actor who, who comes onto a stage for a play with three different parts in the same play. But he's only ever on stage on one part at, at any one time. And we can see this idea on the screen, can't we? It's the, it's the idea that at one point in the Bible, God is God, he acts as God the Father. The Old Testament, you could, you could say. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we have God acting as, as Jesus, as the Son. And then he returns to heaven and after Pentecost, and we have God acting as God the Holy Spirit, and he's done that ever since. That, that's, that's, a, that, that's a way of looking at the Bible. It happens to be wrong. And that seems okay. You can maybe see the advantage of looking at God like that. But what about, what about a chapter in the Bible like John 17? Uh, Timothy preached in John 17 uh, for us recently. When the son is in a full-blown conversation with his father in prayer. When Jesus prays to his father, something along the lines of verse 25. O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these uh, know that you have sent me. Or listen to John 11, verse 41, that Lazarus is about to be raised from the dead. Uh, and it says this, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. You see, that's not the way to explain the Trinity as a series of moods. We have one God, that's correct. But we have three persons in the Godhead, and the three persons are real. They are not a fabrication or a helpful way to consider God. They are real, functioning persons. Persons who can and do interact with each other. Persons you can speak to and pray to. Persons at work in the world around us. Others have taken this idea and embraced the idea of an illustration and come up with another idea from nature to simplify things. One God with three parts, still one God, three parts, and they illustrate it with, with a three-leafed clover or, uh, to keep uh, St. Patrick happy, a, a shamrock, this idea. This is kind of like a cousin to modalism. It's a little bit different. It is three persons, but they're not themselves all of God, and that's the issue here. They're only part of God each. And what about Colossians 2, verse 8 and 9? According to Christ, for in him the fullness, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You, you, you hear that? God the, God, God the Father is not a third of God, and God the Son is not a third of God, and God the Spirit is not a third of God. For in Christ is the whole fullness of God. All of God that there is dwells in him, in other words. He is fully God. He's not part of God. He's all of God. 
And it's the same for the other members of the Trinity. We could say that God is indivisible. That's, what, that's the idea here right? in more theological terms. God the Father is all of God. The Holy Spirit dwelling within you is not part of God, but all of God. And the Holy Spirit in each of us right now, he is the same one spirit. We don't have different Holy Spirits. We, we share the one and the same Holy Spirit. And he's all of God. So, of course, we have to be careful with our language to take care how we, how we think about God. Because the person of the Father possesses the whole being of God in himself. And the, similarly, the person of the Son possesses the whole being of God in himself. And the person of the Holy Spirit possesses the whole being of God in himself. So the Trinity is not like water or actors on a stage or a clover with three leaves. So the question remains, can we illustrate the Trinity? Sometimes it's helpful. But the truth is, it always falls short. Even this illustration, this is a quite a good illustration of the Trinity. It's pretty good, but it, but it does not get the idea that each of those persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are in themselves all of God. You see, you can't really do that on paper. You can't really do that in a diagram. Because the Trinity is too complicated for nature. We don't have anything else that is three and that is one at the same time. We don't have anything that is that complex, in other words. If we were, if we were to, able to explain it simply, then we'd be making God, our God, too small. Effectively creating him in our image. And we dare not lessen him in that way. Secondly, let's ask, ask a follow-up question. Can we understand the Trinity? So we, you've said, you know, the illustrations, they ultimately feel it's too complex, it's, it's so difficult to understand. Should we even try then, is the question. Should we even try? Is it even possible to understand this, this God of ours? Wayne Grudem says, yes, we should take heed to errors that have been made in the past, we should recognize that they have all come about through attempts to simplify the doctrine of the Trinity and make it completely understandable. But this we can never do. This we can never do. We can never completely understand God. We can never completely understand God, for that would, would of course, increase the membership of the Trinity. Because we'd be in there too if we could completely understand God. Because such is his being. Such is his glory and magnitude and wonder. So we have no hope of complete understanding. However, it is not correct to say that we cannot understand the doctrine of the Trinity at all. Because we've been given the tools to do so. Because we've been told in Scripture. We've been instructed there. And as a result, are able to understand. We can understand these things as follows. There's, there's one God. Now that's very clear. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We can understand that. We can understand that the Father is not the Son and not the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father and not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father and not the Son. Let us make man in our image, says Genesis 1 verse 26. 
And of course, the father speaks to the son at his baptism, and the son speaks to the father in several places, and uh, including some that we mentioned this morning, John 17. And the father sends the spirit, and the son sends the spirit. Uh, John 15, 26 says, But when the helper comes, uh, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus says, the son and the father send the spirit. So they are not the spirit. The father is fully God and all there is of God. The son is fully God and all there is of God. And the Holy Spirit is fully God and all there is of God. In summary, we can understand. We can understand and know that God is three persons and that each person is fully God and that, that, there, is, and that there is one God. We can know these things because the Bible teaches them. They're from a whole variety of Bible passages and texts. Uh, this is what we have been, this is what we've been told by God himself, about himself. But what we cannot do is understand fully how all these things fit together, uh, these distinct Bible teachings. Uh, we, we, we wonder, we wonder, don't we? I mean, how can it be uh, that there are three distinct persons and each person be the whole being of God in himself and yet God is one undivided being? I mean, that, that's, that, that's, that's, that's incredible, isn't it? We're not able to understand that. In fact, it's spiritually healthy for us to acknowledge and to acknowledge openly that God's very being is far greater than we can ever comprehend. Because that's, this, of course, what does it do? It, it, it humbles us, doesn't it? It humbles us before God. It, it, it draws us in to, to worship him because he, he's such an amazing, wonderful God. To worship him in church today. In who he is. As we pray to him every day, as we, as we lift our Bibles in the morning or in the evening and, and we learn more of him, he, he's wonderful. And we worship because he's wonderful. This thirdly asked, can we overlook the Trinity? You see, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite sure this morning um, there's no one here that is terribly interested uh, in the weight-bearing capacity of cable steel. Anyone, any interest in the weight-bearing capacity of cable steel? No, none, okay. I'm not surprised by that. Sounds very specialized, doesn't it? Sounds very boring or nerdy. Sounds like a maths or science issue. But if I were to take you on a trip to the east end of London, uh, to the Emirates cable car across the Thames, uh, in the London Docklands, uh, beside the O2, or the Millennium Dome, as it used to be called, and things were, were going fine as we took that beautiful sunset trip across the River Thames. But suddenly, suddenly the car were to stop in the middle of the river. You're not in the river, but you know what I mean. And begin to sway backwards and forwards and forwards and backwards. And imagine there was a really large jolt on that line. Well, suddenly... The weight-bearing capacity of cable steel begins to mean a whole lot more, doesn't it? Speaking about the Trinity is not some intellectual exercise for the specialized. It's not something to win arguments over or, or some uh, nerdy end of Bible teaching. A correct understanding of the Trinity can save your life, quite literally. It can save your life. 
You say, surely whatever's true about it will be true whether I understand or believe it correctly or not. Well, I'm afraid that's not good enough, is it? We don't think like that about Christian faith. No, we don't. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And hearing in the Bible always has that understanding built into it, doesn't it? You don't just hear and then goes out the other ear. You, you hear it goes through the middle of your brain. You understand. That's the way the Bible speaks of hearing. Hearing in Scripture is understanding. In the Nicene Creed, which came out after a lot of debates in church history, it says this, Jesus, for us men and our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. That's a statement of the Trinity. Jesus, the Son, from heaven, God, was made man by the Holy Spirit. And that was what saved us for our salvation. That makes an understanding of the Trinity a salvation issue. That, that, that we get this right. Because we have, we have denominations in Northern Ireland outright wrong on the Trinity. The non-subscribing Presbyterian church makes no difficulty saying it doesn't. It rejects the Trinity. They say they're still followers of Jesus. There's something called the oneness movement that some Pentecostal churches sign up to. Not all of them, but some of them. And it's wrong on the Trinity. Certainly questionable. You see, we cannot know and trust in a God that we do not know. We cannot have a relationship with someone we do not know. When we should know him and have access to, 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 to him showing himself to us in Scripture. Imagine you meet someone who says they're a Christian, but they deny the Trinity, as we've explained this morning. What's the problem, you say, if, if she believes in Jesus or he believes in Jesus? What's the problem if he, he, she's a Christian but not Trinitarian? Well, it's a problem of understanding. See, you don't believe in the Trinity, then you don't understand who God is. Jesus says God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You have to understand who God is. You, 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 you have to know the truth as God tells us to worship God. You can't have one of those, you know, those sort of like, I like to think of God like this discussions. It doesn't work like that. You can't have a, a, kind, of, a kind of bash your head together with someone and have a little brainstorm of what you think God is like. No, because God tells us what he's like. God tells us in the Bible that he's the one in charge of revealing himself and he reveals himself as one and three in one. And if you're in the, this cable car, then you can't possibly understand who Christ is. You can't be saved if you don't accept God as he reveals himself in the Bible. And you can't be saved in the Son if you cannot accept that the Son is fully God. You must have, a, have the, the incarnation before you can, you can possibly understand who Jesus Christ is. And you can't believe in someone you don't understand. And you can't benefit from a gospel that, as a result, you know nothing of. No biblical understanding equals no salvation. That's the truth. You could confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, but not know who Jesus is, and not have a clue what being Lord means. That doesn't work. Can we overlook the Trinity? Absolutely not. That would be deadly. Finally, this morning, can we see the Trinity functioning? 
We cannot adequately picture or illustrate the Trinity. We always fall short. But we can understand what's been told to us, what's been, uh, what's been revealed to us about this important doctrine and its life or death importance. Finally, I want to say to you this Trinity Sunday that we can also see the Trinity functioning in Scripture. We have uh, one God, only one. There are, there are no differences in, in, in attributes or, or nature or, or deity or will between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person's fully God, has all the attributes of God. The only distinction or difference between the members of the Trinity are the ways in which they relate to each other and how they function in in, in, the creation, in the created order, how they, how they function in the world. In their relationship, the persons are, of course, distinct. The Father is the Father as he is the Father of the Son. And the Son is the Son because he is the Son of the Father. It's always been like that. Forever and back as far as you, your mind can go because we can't even comprehend the eternal nature of God. Always been like that. The Spirit is in community of love with the Father and the Son. It's always been like that. The persons are distinct in how they relate to each other. They have that loving relationship inside the Trinity. They're not, they, they relate to each other. But it's also in their workings in the world that we can see this distinction too. Each person of the Godhead must be involved in everything that God does, but their rules are different at times. In other words, the persons have distinctive rules, but do not work separately. They work together. The Trinity is shown in Scripture in how they function. I would, yeah, I want to show you three ways. In creation, uh, in, in redemption, and in the work of sanctification. So let's, let's talk about creation first of all, right? Creation. We can see God the Father working in creation, can't we? In many places. This is how we tend to think of it. Think about Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay, and you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hat. His is the primary rule in creation, the Father. He, he directs the work of creation. But the Son and the Spirit... Well, they also work in creation too. For, of course, in Genesis 1, the Spirit is hovering over the face of the waters, isn't he? Of course he is, because he, he's, the, he's the giver. He, he's the one that, that, that gives life. And he's always presented as a giver of life in Scripture. In John chapter 1, we learn that all things were made through the Son. Because without him was not anything made that was made. He's the agent of creation. He's, he's working too, isn't he? The Father made the world through the Son. That's, that's true to say that. And they have common purpose in making the world. Secondly, think about redemption. This is very important, isn't it? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work in redemption. Now, when we think about redemption or, or the work of salvation, we think primarily of, of the Son, don't we? The rule of the Son, and, and that's right. And we should, for it is the Son who, who works in coming to the world, in going to the, to the cross to redeem us, in, in suffering there to pay the price for our sins, in giving his life as a ransom for us, in, in cleansing us, in, in rising again for our justification, in, in granting us adoption into, into his family, and in, in, in obeying his Father in all of this. 
The Son of God saves us. But of course, the Father has a rule too. In, he, works in, he works in election. He, he draws people to himself, according to John chapter 6, verse 44. He, he, he gives his Son. Think about the most famous verse in the Bible. Yeah. God the Father. So loves the world. He gives his only, one and only Son. He directs him. He, he sends him. And the Holy Spirit, of course, has a role too in redemption. The Holy Spirit, of course, convicts us of our sins, making us aware of our need of Christ through his inner work and through, through the outer word, the word of God. He breathes spiritual life into us just like he breathes at the beginning of the world. He's sent by the Father to, seal, uh, to be the seal and the security that we're God's own. The Son's primary here in the work of redemption, isn't he? But the Father and the Spirit, again, work together and have a common purpose in redeeming, redeeming a lost humanity. We thought about creation and redemption. Now think about our sanctification. And again, well, here the, the Holy Spirit has the foremost role. He's the one who transforms us, who dwells within us. But again, the Father and the Son work in sanctification because you can't... Divide the Trinity up when God's at work. All of the Trinity is at work. But they have rules. And they're sometimes often possible to, 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 to give them distinct and, and to explain them distinctively. But they're inseparable in creation and redemption and sanctification in terms of God, three persons, is at work. Charles Spurgeon says, In deeds of grace, none of the persons of the Trinity act apart from the rest. They work together. So what can we say in summary this morning? We can say that all of the illustrations and analogies fall short. God has no ultimate comparison. You can't do that with our God because he is the creator of it all. All of the examples from nature are ultimately weak one way or the other. But that causes us to worship, doesn't it? <laughs> That causes us to wonder, what a great God we have. When, when others take a piece of wood and carve it and make it into a God and bow down to it, we say, no, oh, no, no, you can't, possibly, you can't possibly capture all of our God in a piece of wood or anything else in creation. No, we have the God who made it all, and we worship him. We can understand what God has shown us in Scripture. We can understand that God reveals himself but we cannot understand fully with our finite minds. This keeps us humble, doesn't it? This keeps us in our place where we, where we worship him, don't we? And we worship him rightly, the triune God as he, as he reveals himself to us. What a great God we have. Let's return to that verse we read at the beginning in Galatians, or those verses we read at the beginning in Galatians chapter 4. I want to read verse 4 to 6 again. And it says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, that he, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see it there? 
God, the divine Father, sends the divine Son and he redeems us. You see it there? God, the divine Son, redeems us and brings us into the divine family by adoption. You see it there? God, the the divine Spirit, uh, enters our hearts, breathing spiritual life into us and enabling us and causing us to cry out, Abba, Father. And this great work of redemption causes us to worship. What a great God we have. Complex, glorious, holy, loving, light. May we raise our our minds and our hearts in appreciation this morning as we consider the triune God who created us, who redeemed us in Christ, And who by his Holy Spirit is renewing us and changing us on the inside in sanctification. Let's bow our heads in worship for a moment, please. Father God, we are in wonder. And so we must be. As we approach you in your glory, undeserving. in your infinite wonder, in our finite state and with our finite minds, Father, we, we grasp to try and understand, and we cannot fully, but we can understand this, that you are one God in three persons. Give us a, an appreciation of your glory, your complexity, and cause us to bow and to worship the God who made us and has redeemed us and changes us and is at work, was at work in the past, is at work in the present and always will be at work. And we thank you for ever revealing yourself to us in all of your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.